I think we were ambushed by social media. I don't think any of us were ready for that and what it would do to our brains. So part of anxiety is I just, I'm taking too much in. Um, and that has changed the educational system. So too many teachers, and I love teachers, they're my heroes, let it be known. But too many teachers are still teaching in a 20th century model, a pedagogy that's lecture, drill, memorization, and test that doesn't work today. I mean, you don't even have to teach for memorization. They can look anything up, you know, just ask Google. In fact, kids are asking Google questions they used to ask their mom and dad. This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Better Wealth Podcast. Uh, man, today's episode was incredible. I had the opportunity to sit down with one of my heroes, Dr. Tim Elmore, and this guy is full of energy, full of wisdom, and has so many nuggets. So many nuggets. Like I, I was taking notes during our our show, and I was just writing uh, note after note after note, and insight after insight after insight. Um, so a couple things that I want to do uh, just to tee up this. Number one is I got impacted by Dr. Tim Elmore in a, an insane way. I, I open up the podcast with him sharing that story. Um, he talks about his work with Doc, um, John Maxwell, and he worked with John before John really blew up. And so he has some really funny stories there and just does an incredible job talking about education, um, where he thinks it's going, um, hacks on how we can better invest in ourselves. And then he also does an incredible job talking about his definition of better wealth. And then um, also he crushes the legacy question. It was just a really fun interview. And a side note, after we were done, I asked him, uh, I, I shared with him my heart for wanting to do missions overseas. And uh, he, he said that if we ever want to use the Habitudes as a curriculum, um, he will help us do that. And so I'm excited to just see where that goes. But let me uh, read to you a part of his bio. I'm really going to summarize it because it would take an hour <laughs> to read the whole thing. Uh, but Dr. Tim Elmore is the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, a nonprofit organization created to develop emerging leaders. He's super, super passionate about emerging leaders and, and makes a powerful statement that Gen Z is the generation. And, and I, I think it's, I think he makes some really good points. Um, he's talked to over half a million students, coaches, teachers, parents, um, and organizations partnered, and he's partnered with over 8,000 diverse schools around the country, universities. Um, he name drops different universities, different athletes. Part of some of them are um, the University of Alabama athletic department, which I think um, is doing a pretty good job. And then you also look at San Francisco Giants, Houston Rockets, and Tim was also named as the top 100 leadership speakers in 2018 and uh, has written and authored over 30 books. And I'm telling you, this has everything to do with better wealth. And without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Dr. Tim Elmore. Dr. Tim Elmore, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be with you, Caleb. I, I had the opportunity to share with you this before coming on the show but i just want you to know that your work your books your philosophy and the way that you show up has made it a tremendous impact on my life i believe in 2015 i went to become a facilitator i, I have trained i have a plaque somewhere i can't find it yeah <laughs> um, and the philosophy that you guys teach have have changed my life actually helped me get three credits in college has helped me be a better camp counselor a better business entrepreneur um, and a better brother and, and friend. And so I just, from the bottom of my heart, like I get emotional just thinking about this, but 
thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you for uh, coming on my show and sharing your work and your heart with my audience. Well, Caleb, I'm honored you just say that. Um, it's probably hyperbole, but uh, thank you for those words. I, uh, I believe it's people like you that, that really um, inspire me to do what I do. It's fun to meet emerging leaders. You're no longer emerging. You are a leader, but um, that's our target. You know, we just want to impact the next generation of leaders and entrepreneurs and see the world changed. So thanks for what you just said. It, it's why I do what I do. So you have quite the bio. Um, and it's, and it's sometimes easy to think that that just happens overnight. And it's like, wow, there's a lot that went into getting to you to where you are. So what I would love is, is context on who you yeah. are, who, who is Dr. Tim Elmore. And I know that there's so much that make up you, who you are and how you share your message. And I want to delve into that. And then I want to talk about where we are as far as the educa education system goes and the habitude philosophy, because the habitudes are, if profound but the but the facilitator method yeah in combining habits and attitude like that my friend has that is the real impact that's had on my life and so um i uh I, I would love to delve into your story okay well i'll give you the reader's digest version that we can camp out anywhere that you want to um so i started my career a little over 40 years ago it's 1979 um, I started as both a teacher and a part-time youth pastor. So I was working with kids, even though I was still a kid. And that's when I decided I wanted to invest my whole life in the next generation. So while I was continuing to grow older and hopefully wiser, I kept thinking the, the most strategic place is in that young person that's still moldable, you know, like you were, you know, and, and uh, I, saw, I saw potential, but yet they were still hungry and teachable. So Anyway, fast forward four years from that beginning, I went on staff with Dr. John Maxwell. So some of your listeners might know John's name. John is this incredible leader, this New York Times bestselling author who just burps out books, you know, three or four times a year. It's amazing. And I was on his writing team, event team, and, and led with him. So my love of young people was already intact. When I met John, my love of leadership just began to swell, as you can imagine. And over the decades, the two came together. My love of the emerging generation, my love of leadership. So all that John Maxwell was doing for corporate America with his 21 laws of leadership, I kept thinking, what would happen if we got this to the younger generation before they were 45 and made four mistakes and ruined a marriage or, or whatever? So um, I focused on university students, high school students, uh, young professionals. Um, so our window that we really try to hit is 16 to 24 years old. Although we, I think the habitudes, anybody can like them, uh, but that's really who we're after. So that's kind of how I got to where I was. Growing Leaders um, started in 2003. So after nearly 20 years with John Maxwell, um, he kind of shifted the mission a little bit of the nonprofit I worked with him on. And I got mad. I got mad at him. I mean, even though he's kind of like an uncle to me, I sat down with him twice and said, this is just wrong. This is just wrong. And I was this fired up, you know, young guy. And John just smiled and said, well, then you should start something. You should do this. Yeah. So I don't think I'm a natural born entrepreneur like you're often fostering, but I, I fell into that mode just because I felt like, well, I've got to do what's inside of me. So officially in 2003, I started this organization called Growing Leaders. And I was just hoping to put food on the table. You know how it is at the beginning. You're hoping to God you make it through the day. 
And it's been so fun to see leaders respond, whether it's a university, a business, um, a professional athletic team, uh, just respond to these images and, and run with them. So that's, that's kind of how I got to where I am. Now, I have to ask this because I'm a huge John Maxwell fan. And okay. I, would, I, would, I would probably say that majority of people that listen to this podcast know who John Maxwell is and have read his books. Um, looking back on him, is there one characteristic that just sticks out more than others? Because you've had the pleasure of actually working by, mm, yeah. by his side. And I just, it is crazy how much content he comes out with. Yeah, and I've yeah. never met him personally, but the humility that he shows is pretty powerful. So two or three things come to my mind immediately. First of all, your listeners might be pleased to know John is the same off the stage as he is on. He's hilarious. He's fun. He's winsome. It's insightful. He's the same way off the stage. So, I mean, we have done everything together. We've gone on vacations together. And it's just, I'm, I love the fact that there's still leaders with integrity that say, I do what I say, you know. And you hear his wife say, yep, he lives what he says. So that's one cool thing. Um, Caleb, probably the number one lesson I learned from John was when I was 23 years old. And John taught me the art of confrontation. Uh, I entered my career as a people pleaser, like probably most people do. That's human. You know, we just don't want to make anybody mad. We want everybody to love us. And I learned very quickly, uh, leaders aren't in it to win popularity contests, but productivity contests. That's what I always say. I'm here to win a productivity contest, not a popular. And I learned that lesson from John, who I watched sit down with people that had really gone awry or said something or done something that they shouldn't have done. And this man just lovingly just dealt with it. And um, I watched it, he, him redeem the moment. And so I think I overcame my people pleasing pretty much. I mean, I, still you want people to like you, but I really thought this is how life is supposed to be lived by conviction and by belief. And if people don't like you, well, they don't like you. And by the way, that made me a better dad. If I wanted my middle school kid to like me every week, I'm in trouble as a parent, as you well know. So anyway, I'll stop there. But that was probably the biggest lesson. Oh, I did think of one more thing. Your listeners might have fun hearing about my very first staff evaluation with John Maxwell. So I was 23 years old and, you know, I'd never done a staff evaluation. This, nobody, my mother told me I was awesome, you know, I, I yeah. believed her. So, um, so I sit down with John and of course he just jumps into several things that he really liked about me and I'm taking notes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm writing them all down. Seven things. In fact, he said, Tim, hiring you was the smartest decision I ever made. He's the king of hyperbole, but I'm writing that yeah. down, you know. And then he goes, now, there's a few things you're going to need to work on. And I said, I beg your pardon? You know, because I never, I never heard anybody say I needed to work on something. And he began to walk through very, it wasn't in a mean spirit, but it was very specific improvements that I needed to make. One was seeing the big picture. I only saw my department. Uh, and, and one was, he said, Tim, you can be a little aloof. You're great on the platform, but when you walk off the platform, sometimes you're, you disengage and haven't we all seen speakers that just, you know, there's this guru on the stage and then it's like, who are you? You know, are you even real when you're off the stage? And John said, Tim, you need to develop off the platform charisma. And I said, what in the world is that? And he said, just watch me. And you know, as only John could do. 
I don't know if you've ever seen him on stage, but he just, just hugs people and asks about their dog and their cat and their, you know, and I thought, this is how life is supposed to be. So I owe so much of who I am. Every time I'm with John these days, I say, you got stock and everything I'm doing. You got stock and everything I'm doing. And he smiles and says, I love you, Tim. So um, it's kind of fun to have that kind of uncle nephew relationship. Yeah. Did, you, did you start working with him when you were 23? Yeah, 23 was my first year, almost right out of college. And did he, was he known, like well-known back yeah. then? Wow. No, he was not. He, I mean, he had written a book, I think one book, and now it's like 80 or 100. Um, but, um, but he really wasn't well-known. And so I count my blessings because I was one of three or four people he really invested in. I mean, I was there with him. And uh, I look back and go, oh my gosh, if I don't do a good job, it's my own fault. Because I was mentored by this guy that just did the right thing. I didn't have to unlearn a lot of leadership lessons like yeah. so many young professionals do. So well, anyway, it, it's yeah. super, super evident that um, the result of good leadership is multi-generational and has way bigger impacts than just ourselves. And so thank you. Like, thank you for sharing yeah. that. Um, you have a lot of books uh, around my generation. I just turned 24, by the way. Yeah. And, and so you have a lot of books about Gen Z millennial kind of um, yeah. generation. I remember when we first met and you opened up, you didn't open up about the habitude philosophy. You really opened up of where we're at as a, yeah. as a country, as an edu- education system. And, and like you were saying, John went the direction of corporate America leadership yeah. kind of deal. And you're like, man, if we can mold children and like get young people to yeah. really get this, can you talk about where we are as an education system, where we are as a country? Mm. And I know your, your message has never been more relevant, by the way. Like, mm. holy moly. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I would love to get, and get the update before we delve into the Habitude philosophy. Okay, sure. I'll do my best to give you a, a shortened version because it feels like we could talk forever about this. So for listeners' sake, um, for, for, gosh, 10 or 15 years, we talked about the millennial generation. And the millennials always, or I shouldn't say always, often the millennials felt thrown under the bus. You know, these lazy slacker kids, they're entitled and fragile and, you know, whatever. Um, and there was an element of truth. There were many kids that weren't prepared for a career. You know, they were maybe coddled by mama or daddy, and, and they weren't quite ready when college was done. But um, I see so much potential. Uh, and I feel like if they're not ready, it, I need to look in the mirror. What do we not do well as parents, teachers, coaches? employers. So the newest population, Caleb, that Caleb, that we're talking about now is Generation Z. They're the ones that pretty much are still in school and only remember the 21st century. You're, you're right on the brink between the millennials and Gen Z. So um, it might be helpful for listeners to know, uh, as we look at the data on Gen Z, they are absolutely the generation that is most primed to change the world. I mean, think about technology, communication. It's a global economy. I mean, with one post, we can talk to millions of people, you know. Um, at the same time, Gen Z is the most anxious generation ever on, on record. Um, and I think it was partly not because it's just bad news all around us, but it's too much news. Um, I heard someone say recently, we're drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. Isn't that good? Yeah. Drowning in information, but starving for wisdom. So we try to help cut through all the fat and say, Here's the stuff you need to know. So um, I think we were ambushed by social media. I don't think any of us were ready for that and what it would do to our brains. 
So part of anxiety is I just, I'm taking too much in. Um, and that has changed the educational system. So too many teachers, and I love teachers, they're my heroes, let it be known, but too many teachers are still teaching in a 20th century model, a pedagogy that's lecture, drill, memorization, and test that doesn't work today. I mean, you don't even have to teach for memorization. They can look anything up, you know, just ask Google. In fact, kids are asking Google questions they used to ask their mom and dad, you know, that's, it's crazy. So we're trying to help educators shift how they do what they do. Not what, the what may not need to change, but the how. You've heard me say this before, the how is what we need to change. So we endorse a, um, we, we use the term DICE, D-I-C-E. So um, the letter D reminds me, reminds me we need to start with a dilemma. So don't start with a curriculum. They're, they're, they've got 10,000 messages a day. You're, you're fighting against Netflix and YouTube and good luck with that. But if you start with a dilemma that needs to be solved, all of a sudden, oh, okay, what do we need to do? And so I always believe that what I say needs to start with a problem and then it gets to an answer. Kids learn just in time, not just in case. And yet, Caleb, wouldn't you agree? Most of what we learn is just in case. Yeah, just it's like, I'm never going to need this fact, but okay. That's right. I I, this algebraic test. equation or whatever. Yeah, it's so true. So we try to teach just in time, uh, need to know basis. Uh, and by the way, part of creating the need to know in students is painting a picture of the dilemma, or maybe it's project-based learning or experiential learning. Remember, we talked about that in the facilitator training. So how do we create experiences that we discuss later and say, holy smokes, what needs to be done there? So that's the letter D. The letter I is images. So you move from a dilemma to an image. And as you well know, these habitudes that you mentioned all represent a timeless principle that address the major dilemmas of our life. So if I'm having a hard time with focus in my life, imagine that today, um, rivers and floods is all about you know, that floods are not focused, rivers are focused, you know, it's both water. So anyway, go to the image. And then because pictures are worth a thousand words, that leads us to the letter C, conversation. I just think good education means good conversation. They don't need a monologue. They don't need a talking head. They're not looking for a sage on the stage with a lecture. I always like to say they're looking for a guide on the side with a, with a conversation and an experience. So that's the letter C. And then the letter E is the experience. We just believe teaching isn't done until there's some kind of an experience at the end. So I know I rushed through probably an hour's worth of, of discussion, but we just think that's how Gen Z learns best. And uh, we need to shift the way we communicate to, to that. Yeah. So my, my dad does a ton of research in the molecular biology field, and he just wrote a book on stress and how stress oh, wow. has one of the biggest like it's one of the biggest factors in our health. Yeah. How, yeah. how does like nowadays you, you said we have the generation coming up that is going to, yeah. did you say that's going to be potentially the most influential in the world? Yes. Yeah. They very well could be uh, because well, right now, just so you'll know, globally generation Z is the largest generation in world history. Now Gen Z is not the largest in American history. The boomers and the millennials are both a little bigger, but globally Gen Z. And by the way, they're all on the same sites. Apple, Google, Amazon. So it's really quite amazing what can happen here. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'll let you finish your, your trail of thought. But um, Well, yeah. Yeah, so you have on one hand, you have like, like solid potential, but then we also, I mean, 
I'm sure you have some stats. Like there's probably some really scary stats going on as it relates to like, I have, I have friends that are 12 years old, 10 years old and have smartphones. And I go like, and again, I'm like in this weird because I am, I think technically Gen Z, but I'm like right on that edge. And I feel like I'm an old soul. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 17. I was homeschooled (laughs) by the way and parented very well. So I'm like, I'm trying to be empathetic to yeah, what kids yeah. are growing up with, but I'm a, I'm a, um, a result of good parenting yes, and I'm yeah. grateful for that. Yeah, no doubt. So one of the bits of data that I love sharing because it helps people wrap their arms around the subject. Um, Dr. Robert Leahy, who is a cognitive behavioral therapist said about kids in the 21st century. He said the average teenager today has the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. And I just believe life was not supposed to look this way. It doesn't have to. So what I would say back to your point is this. I think stress is a huge factor, no doubt about it. Panic attacks, depression, anxiety. But I think stress itself doesn't ruin us. It's how we respond to it. Your dad knows this better than I do. So the narrative I come away with is what's key. So let me share a big idea that might be helpful to listeners. Um, ever, well, over the last 80 years or so, the last four big wars that the U.S. has fought in, we've heard the term PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, people came back from World War I, World War II, Vietnam. Uh, you know, it was just, we heard PTSD all the time. In the 1990s, we began to discover through psychology that only one out of five people that went through these stressful experiences uh, got PTSD. Four or five didn't. In fact, they got what psychologists call PSG, post-stress growth. Isn't that powerful? Or or, I'm sorry, PTG, post-traumatic growth. I got to get my terms right. So how did four out of five do better? Well, here's what happened. They came out with a better narrative. They went through the same hard time, but Caleb, haven't you seen two people go through bad times? One comes out better, one comes out bitter. And so um, we believe that if we can help guide kids get the right narrative through the whole thing. So here's a practical application. Um, I just finished another book called The Pandemic Population. We're trying to help employers and educators and parents help kids get the right narrative when they come out of this. Do you know one of the chapters is so, I get excited to talk about this. I interviewed a bunch of Great Depression kids, people that are now in their 80s and 90s, but went through a very hard economic time, worse than we're going through now in terms of economy. And they, and they came out so great. My mom and dad were two of these people. So I interviewed and interviewed and interviewed. And here's what I found, this ribbon. The adults led us to keep a great attitude, to believe that we were going to make it. And we didn't even pay attention to the fact that we were in a Great Depression. In fact, some of them said, we didn't even know we were in Great Depression. Part of our problem today is we're so aware because of a 24-7 news cycle of what we're, how victimized we are. And I'm thinking, just shut the news off after 30 minutes. You've got the headlines. Let's get on with our work now. I know I'm probably too, prof- I don't know what uh, I am right I, now. But- I have to say, I love talking to you. I, I, I'd love it. And I think there's a reason why you are growing so much and, and impacting so many people as people are drawn to this optimism. Um, there are a couple of things that came to my mind when you were talking okay. thermostat versus thermometer. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Is it not true that it's like, it's so easy to, and, and those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, you go by the habitudes and just stay, stay tuned. But like, <laughs> it's all these things 
that these yeah. concepts that you talk about, these habitudes have helped me be able to put a concept into a, yeah. a picture. And I'm yeah. telling you, it's just like when I want to react, I go, okay, am I yeah. going to, to react or am I going to, to, yes. um, to control the temperature? Yeah. In the room? yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the greatest images for me. Uh, you might find this interesting. Some professional sports teams are using these habitudes. Thermostat and thermometer is James Harden's favorite habitude with the Houston Rockets. Uh, so two or three years ago, he was learning them from their performance uh, coach and he was using the habitudes and he came to one of the facilitator trainings. And uh, so it's, it's just so cool. It, it, no matter how smart you are, we think in pictures and it just helps us keep the narrative. And that's what it is. Thermostat thermometer is a narrative that you choose to say, I'm going to influence and not be influenced here as much. And that's what I think is going to be important for us for the next generation. Right. Uh, if parents, teachers, coaches, we've got to help them build the right story that they're telling themselves. Yeah. So, so two questions. One is based on the education system. Like how are you okay. approaching your, your company? Because it's yeah. a nonprofit. How are you, yeah. what are you doing to um, move the needle there? And then I'm curious, I mean, you totally in your bio San Francisco Giants, you're working yeah, with athletics. Yeah. And you said that 16 to 24, in the back of my head, I'm like, I think the habitudes might be the greatest way to train corp corporations. It's I, I, irony. Yeah, you could say like, yeah. sorry, John, I'm going to take over corporate America as well. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But like, exactly. so two questions, but like, what are you guys' approach in that? And I, yeah, I love yeah. that athletics are, are, they're seeing the value of this. Well, one reason athletics are is you talk about baseball in the minor leagues, you've got kids that are 17 to 24 years old and I call them kids, they're adults, but they're still forming, you know, and, and again, maybe they've never been taught this. When I was with the Giants uh, years ago, this would have been maybe, oh gosh, eight or nine years ago, one of the young players, I'm going to get emotional now, one of the young players ran up to me after the talk and he just said, I've never been taught this before. Can I fast track this? I want to get all this I can. And I thought he was probably 20 years old. And I thought, well, you could fast track it if you want to, but this happens over time, not overnight, you know, and I, I gave him the extra books and so forth. But I just thought, here's a hungry kid that may play in the major leagues one day, but he just wanted to get his heart right. And, uh, that's what drives me to do what I do. I, I, you know, I want a leader to get it and they can increase, increase the profits of IBM. But what I really want is someone to get their heart right as well as their hands and their head uh, to make sure we're, we're improving the world, not just making more money along the way, even though better wealth is a good thing. <laughs> you better believe you're going to get a question on how to define better wealth. So if you think yeah, about that, right, yes. um, what, yeah. what are you doing right now in, in impacting the education system? And there's a lot of homeschool uh, families yeah. that listen to this. Okay. What, what can they do if you, yeah. if they want habitudes in their school or in their okay. curriculum, what can they do? Well, it's really easy. Our website really has everything. So it's a one-stop place that you can get free stuff and habitudes. So it's growingleaders.com. But the way we work with schools, Caleb, is very quite simple. We believe most kids or faculty, for that matter, need a training session up front. You know that I believe in that. Let's get ready to do what we're about to do. But then um, most schools will use the habitudes in advisement period, like homeroom, you know, where there's maybe a 20, 25 minute period of time that we write notes to our friends and, <laughs> and goof off. 
Um, and we're just saying, why not make it intentional with conversations about life and leadership? So that's often it. A sports team might do it right before practice. So we've got a lot of um, coaches that do it right before practice, you know, take 15 minutes there. And there's a number of universities, a uh, big one, Ohio State, Alabama, um, other Oklahoma that, that will use that. And um, it's not the only reason they win. They certainly recruit good athletes, but I think they get their minds right. Yeah. I think they, they teach these student athletes to get it right in their head. So that's the differentiator. So anyway, uh, we try to help teachers with the right pedagogy. How do I deliver the content? And then we believe the what lies within these images where you have conversations and something new can come of it every single time you talk. Now, I want to talk about the difference between a teacher and a facilitator. And yeah. I, we just, as a company, we read a book each, each month and we finish Seven Habits. And okay. this is not the first time I read Seven Habits. It's had one of the biggest yeah. impacts on my life. Yeah. This, yeah. The idea of proactiveness and seeking first to understand. Yeah, yeah. It's like, man, I, I feel like that's very much a facilitator of being proactive listening yeah. and seeking first yeah. to understand and asking questions. That yeah. was, um, to be perfectly frank, I don't remember everything in our two days. I remember the importance of a facilitator and I've tried yeah. my best to lead this way. So can you talk about the difference? Yeah, of course, this is just you and me saying this. There are probably better, smarter people out there. But I really believe that I entered my career more as a speaker, a public speaker, a communicator, not a communicator, a, a teacher. And I had to shift gears because if you think, well, here's how I think. A speaker thinks inputs, a facilitator thinks outcomes. So you've got to switch from inputs to outcomes. If I'm measuring inputs, all I'm measuring is my activity. I taught the lesson. I said the information. I downloaded all the content. So I did my job. Well, I think if my students don't get it, I didn't do my job well enough. So I got to think, how do I facilitate the learning experience of the students? So I think that's one thing we really see eye to eye on. And I feel like we got to shift gears. I, as, a, as, a spe as a talker, I want to do talking. Can you tell I like it? I really like it. So I love the ego thing I get when I do all the talking and people shake my hand and say, oh, you're awesome. But what I really need to do is say, did you get it? So can I share an, uh, an illustration of this? Favorite illustration of someone that moved to a facilitator slash communicator from a public speaker is Dr. Martin Luther King. So the most famous speech he ever gave was in August of 1963. I have a dream. Uh, I think I might have shared this at that two-day training. When he finished his 11-minute manuscript that he took to the podium that day, he looked at the crowd and realized they didn't get it yet. The divine aha had not happened yet. The epiphany. You can tell by the faces of the listeners. So if you watch the black and white film, he pushes his notes aside. And from the overflow of what's inside of him, he begins to facilitate the learning. And he keeps going back to the phrase, I have a dream. We call it the I have a dream speech. He didn't say that until after he started just talking from the overflow of his learning. And he speaks, and, and he goes another seven and a half minutes, all from no paper, all heart, watching the faces, illustrating, I have a dream, illustrating, I have a dream. A point for their head, a picture for their heart, a practice for their hands. That's how he did it. A point for their head, I have a dream, picture for their heart. Here's what it looks like. My four little children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character and practice for that. Here's what we need to do. And I mean to tell you, Caleb, 
every time I hear that speech, I want to sign up. I'm, <laughs> I'm going with you. I don't know where you're going, but I'm going with you. So um, I feel like we've got to shift gears and say, what do I need to do to make sure they get it? Not I'm a star. They're the star. I'm the guide. They're the hero. I'm Yoda. They're Luke Skywalker or Princess Leia. That's really what I think we need to do. Well, and the, the epiphany I had is I don't have to be the expert. In fact, yeah. it's less effective for me to say, in this, this hour, I'm going to tell you how smart I am, and we're going to talk yeah. about all these things. Whereas a facilitator, I really walked away about asking good questions, yeah. Yeah. not judging your answer, yeah. Yeah. And, and being accountable, keeping you accountable yeah. to that. One of my favorite pictures of what you just said was from a student a high school senior who spoke to me, old enough to be her dad, actually older than her dad probably, but Caleb, you're gonna love this story. So I was teaching the habitude called um, compass or GPS. And listeners, the basic truth of this one is, a compass and a GPS both have to do with navigation. Uh, the GPS is only helpful, however, when you can punch in an address, you turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right until you're on Elm Street. There are sometimes, though, we don't know what the address is. We're in uncharted territory. That's when we need a compass. And, of course, we apply that to our insides. Uh, do our kids graduate from high school just with a GPS? Turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right. Here's your, don't forget your homework. Don't forget, you know, grandma's birthday on Friday. I feel like we need to say, get some values inside. Make sure you've got your own compass. So I teach this to the students, but I start asking questions. One senior raised her hand. Amazing. Her IQ, I'm sure, is higher than mine. And she said, Dr. Elmer, I was just thinking, compasses are impacted by magnets. You know, when magnet gets near a compass, it throws the needle off true north. You know, you know what I'm saying? They're all, they're all based on the magnet of the, you know, the moon and everything. So anyway, throws a magnet. And she said, as you were talking, I just got to thinking, there's some magnets that were throwing my values off. And I need to avoid those. And I thought, oh my gosh, an 18-year-old just taught me. Um, and anybody that uses the, and this true, you will learn from your audience if you will ask good questions and let them talk. So I've learned from my kids. I've learned from middle school, high school, and college students. And that's just a joy. That's what life's about, I think. What I would love to do is, is dive into a couple of your favorites. I know it's, it's kind of like picking your favorite child. You can't yeah, you know, I know. You have hard. one, yeah. but you're not going to admit you have one kind of deal. Um, and I think there's so, I mean, I'll just say my, some of my favorites. I think the iceberg example yeah. is just, it's just like bedrock. I use yeah. the thermostat versus thermometer. I use the uh, rivers and floods. I actually, I don't yeah. actually know when you have the communicator uh, habit. I don't know what the word picture is, but I use a lot of times the speaker versus communicator. Yeah. Yeah. That's windows and mirrors. Windows yeah. versus mirrors. Like one part puts the speech before the audience, mm -hmm. one puts the audience before the talk. And so it's just, yeah. I just want you to know, like the, the reason I love habitudes is they're, I mean, I just go back to them and I can remember. And yeah. for a procrastinator like myself, if I'm ever running late to a Bible study or, or need to facilitate yeah. something, I always, I'm like, I'm good for life now because I'm going to just, built in. I could just BS my way through a, through a 30 minute session and actually have value because I, I'm, it's not like I'm memorizing a script. I get the value. Yeah. That's why I'm, yeah. so 
do you have any, you have a couple favorite and then I would like to go through one with you so that people oh, can sure. get the, how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do love the iceberg. You're right. That was the very first image ever created. Um, and for listeners that don't know the iceberg, I think you've shared it maybe uh, on one of your podcasts, but the 10% of that iceberg that lies above the waterline that you can actually see represents your skills. They're visible, but the 90% that lies beneath the surface of the water that you don't see represents your character. Uh, but we all know it's what's beneath the surface that sinks the ship or supports the tip. So it's really about our, our, the building of the infrastructure of our lives, the character of our lives. But um, Caleb, I think it might be fun since you're such a master of habitudes to share one or two or three, well, or whatever we have time for new ones that you wouldn't have heard that I've developed since this big, dilemma that we're in over the last several months, the pandemic, the protests and everything. So because we're in a leading in a time of crisis and because we're in leading in a time of change, one of the new images uh, that I think leaders need to understand is dentist and cavities. Okay. So think about a dentist and a cavity. So have you ever noticed when you go to the dentist and that dentist says, oh, Caleb, you got a cavity. Very often what they'll say next is, can you stay a little bit longer? I'll fill it right now. Or if not, can you come back as soon as possible? Because I want to get this thing filled. The reason they do is they know if they don't fill the cavity, something else is going to fill the cavity. Bacteria is going to fill the cavity. I believe leaders are dentists. When we go through times of change, people have mental cavities, holes that they don't know for the full story. They don't have the accurate information. Too much is changing. And they'll make up their own story that maybe isn't accurate. And so leaders need to keep filling the cavities, filling the cavities, over-communicate, over-communicate. Um, I know that's a simple thought, but right now on our team, we talk about dentists and cavities all the time. And if we don't fill that hole, something's going to fill that hole. So I'll stop there, but it's just, um, you can imagine that leads to a great discussion on people are going to, people are going to fill that hole with something. And oftentimes, Oftentimes people are down on what they're not up on. So we need to keep them up on things. Yeah. You're, you're going to be a unique guest on the show because a lot of, a lot of the times I'm talking about money, business, yeah. and, and I, I believe simply better wealth is being able to live intentionally, which is yeah. maybe not what, yeah. when you think of a, a company that's helping people with money, you don't necessarily think of intentional living. Yeah. One of the yeah. things that we, we teach is you are your greatest asset. And it's ironic, maybe you could create a um, habitude on this. It's ironic that if you are your greatest asset, why don't you show up on a balance sheet? And so often mm. I see people going through life devaluing, I just made up a word, but devaluing yeah, yeah. their time, how they yeah. use their money, how they think about themselves. And I, I just think this is a result. If you look at where we are as a country, it's just a result of how we think. And unfortunately, yeah. the typical way that we do financial planning I just think it's totally, it's, it's off as it relates to values. And yeah, I have this yeah. phrase called ROR, which stands for return on result Ooh. instead of rate of return. Yeah, yeah. Because it, aren't, aren't we supposed to live our life and be, be stewards of our resource and get clear Absolutely. on the results? It goes back to the GPS example. If you don't know where you want to go, mm -hmm. any road yeah. will get you there. When it comes <laughs> yeah. to money, I, I know that this is not your space, but I know that you're a wise man. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to money, what are some concepts that you've learned in your past? What are some core elements that you have in your life? Um, and what can you pass on to my audience as it relates to your definition of better wealth and what you're doing in your life as it relates to this whole um, 
you know, stewarding the resources that God's given us? Yeah. Wow. That's a huge question. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, is certainly about money, but it's a little bit broader category. I, I feel like we all need to keep remembering that money follows the place there where there's greatest value and it's hardest to replace. So think about a team. Um, the team members that probably earn the most are the ones that are hardest to replace. I mean, that's supply and demand. But I think sometimes we forget as we enter our careers, what I got to do is not try to, well, Albert Einstein said it this way, don't try to become a person of importance, try to become a person of value. If you're valuable, you will be important <laughs> automatically. So um, I try to teach my own kids who are grown adults now. Bethany is 32, Jonathan's 28. Um, you got to make sure that you're adding value. You don't even need to worry about your money. You don't have to, you probably won't have to negotiate money. When I worked for John Maxwell, he always rewarded, rewarded the value I gave and I got paid well, but it's because of, not because I negotiated really well at the table. I need more money from you. He was always good. Now I had a good boss, but he was good to say you're adding value. So that would be one thing. Um, I also think we need to not leverage, maybe a better way to say it is positive, leverage from a point of value. So for instance, right now, I, I don't know if this is your experience where you live, but um, I'm seeing a lot of um, squabbles, arguments, if you will, between young adults and their parents over the protests. And I know it's not just a generational thing, but sometimes the young one, I'm like, you're racist if you don't post on social media or something like that, okay? Yeah. And, and, and so I do agree, we all need to do something that makes the world better, for sure. I'm not sure if posting on social media is the ultimate act of sacrifice because it's pretty simple and it's, uh, you can hide behind a screen. But that's a whole nother podcast. I believe when I see a young person try to negotiate with their parents over what's most, they need to remember, that's my mom and dad. They pay for my cell phone. They pay for my car. They pay for the insurance. They pay. I need to be careful that I'm not trying to leverage something I don't even have. Now, that's just one example. I think everyone needs to learn. I need to start with what I have and who I am. And then know that's going to be the greatest God-given reason I have to influence anybody, parent or colleague, to do, to do something. Yeah, I'll, I'll just stop there. I'm kind of wandering now, but that's a huge concept for me. I've heard the concept of money following value and, and use it myself. And you gave the most concise, clean answer to that. So I will definitely be stealing that or borrowing okay. it. Didn't, didn't John Maxwell, was he the one that said, give someone credit for the first time and say, yeah. like, then, yeah. then say like some smart person told you. And then the third that's time right. you, it's your Just quote. I thought up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. John is king of that. That's so funny. Don't, oh don't sue me in four years when, I, when I'm a, a wise person. <laughs> That's right. Yes, exactly. That's right. Oh, um, my gosh. So there's, there's a lot of other things that I want to get into. I, I appreciate you being here. One of, the, one of the questions I like to end all of our podcasts with is the legacy question. And the yeah. legacy question goes like this. It's, if this was your last day on earth and you, yeah. you knew it was your last day and you're with the people that you love the most, out of all the wisdom, out of all the experience mm. that you've, you've had, what would you make sure that that conversation or maybe for you, that facilitation session, what, what kind of questions wow. or would you be asking yeah. or what kind of statements would you be making? To anybody or just my family? Just to the people that you love the most. Okay. Wow. 
boy, that's a loaded question. And I got one minute, don't I? Um, you have as long as you want. Okay, thank you. Okay, here's what comes to my mind. One is a hope. I would hope that my wife and kids would both say, you really lived what you, what you preached, you know, that sort of thing. This wasn't just a stage talk. This was a lifestyle. Um, and when my wife says that to me, I don't always live up to my words, but when I do, I love, that's the favorite compliment I, I get is she goes, yep, I live with him and he actually does this. So that'd be number one, that would be a hope. But, but, the, but what would I say? What would the conversation be like? I think it would go back to this. I believe successful living is being both timely and timeless. So being timely is I've got to stay current with culture. I've got to understand what's going on, you know, and around me. And I want my kids to always be timely as they create products and services to serve mankind. Um, if you're not timely, forget the whole thing. You're, you're going to be antiquated and a dinosaur. At the same time, I think you and I both agree. I know you well enough to say this. There's some timeless principles and virtues and truths we dare not leave behind in the 20th century. So, um, for instance, if you're an employer listening, honesty will always be a timeless virtue you want in your team. It will never go out of style. Uh, discipline, always a, a, a virtuous you know, thing. So timely and timeless, I think, are really hard to marry. Usually people are really timely. They're so current and cool. But you go, God knows where they're going to end up because they're just waffling and wandering with the times. Yeah. But then the timeless thing comes in when they go, if, if they can say, but I have not left behind what my grandparents showed me back in 1965 or whatever, you know, and I love marrying the two. So yeah. I call it swing sets, swing sets and plumb lines. I got to get on a swing set and order to, I don't know if you've ever swung, you probably don't have kids yet, but if you ever swung a little child, like a niece or nephew or whatever, if a kid gets on a swing set, the first thing they say is, push me higher, push me higher. And we all know that to, in order to go further forward, higher, you got to pull them backward further to give them a good push. I think in our lives, we need to get on swing sets. Let's go, let's look backward and say, what have we learned that we dare not leave behind? What do we know that we can learn from history and repeat or not repeat? Then we can swing forward appropriately and say, now we're going forward, not sideways or wobbly or whatever. So that's just huge. Um, C.S. Lewis once said, uh, we all want to be progressive, but sometimes if you're on the wrong road, the most progressive person is the one that goes back to the right road that he left behind. I think that's, that's, that's you know, pretty, pretty, pretty key. So I'll leave with that. Timely and timeless. I think going further into the 21st century, we've got to marry those two. It's our only hope of really influencing the world in a way that people will listen. And when you look at what's going on in our world, we could use, we could use that. Mm. Yeah, that I think so. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. It is a true honor to spend this time with you. Thank you. Um, how can people best support what you're doing? How can they best get plugged in? And you better believe yeah. I, you have a believer in who you are and what you guys are doing. And I, I want to be your guys' huge advocate. I was going to say number one advocate, but I, I know some of the people that are supportive. <laughs> I'm not going to just be all talk, but how can people uh, support and be involved in what you're yeah. doing? 
Well, thanks for asking. I mentioned uh, growingleaders.com. That's where you can, listeners, if anything was helpful, that's where you can find. Uh, I do a blog three times a week. You can subscribe to that for free. And we talk about these kinds of very things uh, that we just talked about, Caleb. Um, The pandemic population book that I mentioned is coming out mid-August. So that will be anybody that has young people in front of them. That's going to be how do we lead this population that's probably been influenced, maybe negatively, by this feeling of being postponed by this pandemic. Um, So that might be helpful. Um, Yeah, I would say if you want the habitudes, you can find them on growingleaders.com. If someone's listening and they want to give to Growing Leaders, we're a nonprofit. And so what we do is we sell habitudes to Ohio State University, but we also raise money for underfunded schools or marginalized communities in Kenya or India. So if you have a heartbeat for wanting to teach life skills and and social-emotional learning, leadership to populations that could not afford it, we will go there and do this. But obviously, we we, we love it when people can get behind growing leaders financially. So there's a there's a page on our um, website that you can give to as well. I would so appreciate that if that's something that's inside of you. And any final words that you want to leave us with? Well, Caleb, I appreciate you. You give me hope. I know this sounds so cliche. I'm not your grandpa, but the fact that you're 24 and you're doing what you're doing, you raced out of the gate. Um, the reason I'm on this podcast is you very creatively reached out to me and said, you don't know this, but... So um, I w- I'm honored to be with you. Thank you. Um, I'll s- I'm going to be working for you one day, probably. That's <laughs> what's going to happen. But keep doing what you're doing. Keep growing the way you're growing. And uh, yeah, look forward to next time we get a chance to talk. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Better World Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.